Hello and welcome back to our Gilmore Girls podcast, Coffee with a Shot of Cynicism. Gilmore Girls is the coffee and we're the shot of cynicism. I'm Jeffrey. I'm Anani. And this week we are discussing um, episode three of season five titled Written in the Stars. Um, you know, there's there's love in this episode. There's a lot of stuff that seems to be written in the stars, I guess. Um, but before we jump in to this week's episode, um, as we do around these parts, we like to keep things a bit more, you know, up to date and, up, and keep our finger on the pulse of pop culture with some intro topics, which many of you enjoy as you t- as you tell us on social media. So um, this week I wanted to briefly discuss before we get into Gilmore Girls, um, the incident that happened, I think it was last week on Twitter concerning um, the star of the popular Netflix series Heartstopper, which is an adaptation of Alice Oseman's graphic novel series that was quite popular when it first la- when it first launched on Netflix in the spring. Um, I forced Eleni to watch it. Did you enjoy it? I did. Did <laughs> and then I well I couldn't say I forced her then by the by the graphic novels. She did that of her own volition. Um, I, I mean, I you also didn't read force me to watch it. No, but I like strongly recommended it. Did I not? <laughs> yeah. Even though like we don't take each other's recommendations very seriously because we'll be like, it'll go, there'll be like a year that'll go by and neither of us have, or maybe that's just me. Maybe I, maybe I just don't really listen to her recommendations as much as I should. <laughs> that's um, anyway, so what happened was the, uh, um, the actor who plays Nick Nelson on Heartstopper, who is named Kit Connor, um, there had been, I'm guessing a lot of speculation on social media, Twitter in particular, of course, because, you know, Twitter is just the toxic one these days. Um, there had been a lot of speculation about his sexuality, a lot of like unfair speculation, I would say. Um, he was accused of queer baiting a lot on Twitter, I think pretty much from the time that Heartstopper first came out and they were doing press for it. I'm guessing just because he presents as a bit more like stereotypically straight teenage boy kind of and I think that's kind of the image they were going for in Heartstopper but like the character turns out to be bisexual and that's the whole point of the story is that like we don't you know we don't know a person's sexuality by just looking at them and anyway long story short I'm guessing a lot of speculation and controversy on Twitter led to Kit Connor's breaking point where he tweeted out um, last week after previously quitting Twitter a few months earlier. He's like, back for a minute. I'm by. Um, congrats on forcing an 18-year-old to out himself. I think I think some, some of you missed the point of the show. Bye. Which, you know, when I first logged, when I first happened to see that on my Twitter feed the night that it happened, I was like, I was sad. I was like, I, I was just, I was pissed, but I was just like, I was sad. Did, 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 you, have a, did you have a reaction when you first logged on and saw all of that? happening on Twitter um yeah I mean I think my reaction was more so um about him it's sad that he had to was forced to come out maybe before he was ready because people are assholes right (laughs) um 
And, yeah, and he had previously said in, in a different interview a while ago that like he's perfectly comfortable in his sexuality and he's not very big into labels and doesn't feel the need at this time to label himself publicly. And like that should have been the end of it. Yeah, and I think maybe we should explain what queer baiting is so that people can understand what we're... Yes, so that um, was the whole point of me wanting to bring this up. Um, <laughs> not so just to talk about Heartstopper, which Eleni knows that I love very much and I lo- also love the character of Nick Nelson and Kit Connor. But I did want to bring this up so we could discuss a bit more in depth about the topic of the concept of queer baiting. Because I feel like a lot of the discourse that's going around surrounding Kit Connor and queer baiting at the moment, either on social media or in the news is just, I'm not gonna say inaccurate, but it's just, I think a lot of it is fueled by like teenagers showing 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 their love and support for Kit Connor without really knowing the rife history of queer baiting. Would you say? Um. Yeah, I think a lot of people just don't understand how it's used to kind of pull you in. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the problem with this situation in particular is that um, I don't I don't know how to explain it. I think the problem is really just we are we've come to a point where we're so i think younger generations just don't care right um yeah in the sense of like we're like yeah gay straight bi whatever we don't care um mm-hmm. that's not to say that we don't want representation in our media because it's very important for younger generations um yeah but i think it's gotten to a point where just like be you right um mm-hmm. but the problem is that the media hasn't really caught up and as much as they say like, yeah, everyone could be the way you are, celebrate you. They still always want to know your business, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I think um, this is- And I, I definitely think-, think there's people in, in the world and popular people, shall we say, mm-hmm. that play into this a lot for their own benefit. Yeah. Um, and who are not helping matters. Yes. So I definitely agree with your- Summer, summary of queer baiting for sure um i think in the kick i think in kit connor's kit connor's <laughs> uh situation it was definitely just misconstrued and i think a lot of i think a lot of like the hate that was happening towards him on twitter that led to him like sent like writing that tweet was I'm, i don't know if it was coming necessarily from media i'm sure it was i, I you know i don't like to follow that kind of toxic media but i'm sure it was out there as soon as heartstopper started becoming really popular well yeah because Um, the media is very like um you know people are constantly impressed if it's um a straight actor mm -hmm. who is able to portray a gay character and do and like have romance scenes with another man um they're always like oh my god good for him he can do that yeah that's that's why that's why Brokeback Mountain was so popular (laughs) yeah well that's another fucking story but um you know like the media kind of pushes that narrative I'm like oh my god he must be like what a great actor that he's able to like kiss another man amazing and you're like well what (laughs) yeah so as you said queer bait like queer baiting in general is like I think the I what can let me let me back up. So I think where this this kind of gets misunderstood in terms of queer baiting is um, since this happened with Kit Connor on Twitter, that there was the, like a lot of people are showing their support by saying like a person can't queer bait. Like queer baiting refers to like a piece of media 
or a corporation or a company or whatever that like exploits, you know, queer media and queer people for their own gain. And like, yes, that is definitely queer baiting. Like we all, we've all seen big corporations during pride month and then who they, then they drop queer, then they drop queer content and vote against us in politics, you know, the other 11 months of the year. That's a whole other thing. I, but like people, people saying like real people can't queer bait, like that's completely false. And I want to preface this by saying that I do not condone real people queer baiting. That's absolutely not okay. And that's absolutely not what Kit Connor was doing at all. So I think in terms of, I think like you said, in terms of queer baiting, like there's people who will exploit queer, like queer content or, you know, a queer aesthetic for their own gain, like their own financial gain, their own, you know, social media clout, whatever it is. What jumps to mind for me, I'm, I don't know if you'll be able to offer a lot of commentary on this, but what jumps to mind for me is Nick Jonas, who for several years, when he was doing his solo pop music career, um, kind of leaned into an image that was, I'm not gonna say gay friendly or gay adjacent or any ridiculous term like that, but it was just, it was very erotic in a way that appealed to gay men. And I, you know, for lack of a better term, I don't really know how else to describe it. You can make your own, you make your own judgments. But um, like, I remember at that time he was like going out to gay clubs to like promote his music. And he had a song called Chains that was pretty popular. And I, from what I remember, I could be, I could be remembering this wrong. So correct me if I'm wrong or take, take from this what you will, but I think there was one incident where he like was put in like put in physical chains at a gay club and then later described the incident as like being very erotic and like just use a lot of just like really suggestive language when referring to these experiences that more or less like suggested that oh he he could he could lean that way which is fine if he did but I get based on you know just the overall aesthetic of the Jonas brothers in general now it's pretty much screams straight white man. So in that case, it's like, hey, that's definitely queer baiting. And that was a person, not a media, you know, it was kind of a double standard. Yeah. And again, I think we have to make the definition of queer baiting clear. Mm -hmm. um, because for a while it's been used in terms of entertainment and the media and pop culture and whatever. But queer baiting is really the act of implying that mm -hmm. a piece of media traditionally a piece of media is lgbtq plus yeah and then that that implication then lures in lgbtq plus people mm -hmm. but then really they're like psych yeah exactly like like it makes it makes it makes people think like maybe even like people like me like oh look i feel like i'm being represented by this i'm obviously yeah. gonna be interested in it then all of a sudden like oh look bait and switch haha -ha, we got you in it's not actually real queer representation yeah and um i'll i won't read them because i know you don't like when i read articles but i'll post them when this episode comes out um there's a good article from british vogue called kit connor didn't owe us anything which is basically already reiterating what we already have said and there's another really good article from pink news which is now disappearing from my screen um called kit connor's coming out proves by erasure is rife even in the lgbtq plus community and i think that's a whole other issue is because a lot of like a lot of queer viewers who are consuming heartstopper and contributing to the fandom online are obviously 
you know, feeling seen and represented by Heartstopper. So I think it speaks to how well the show makes people feel seen and how it makes them feel comforted and loved. And then I think a lot of Gilmore Girls fans, at least from our social media feeds, have also loved Heartstopper, maybe for that same kind of comfort food, uh, you know, TV, comfort food and TV form that Gilmore Girls and other shows like to evoke. So um, I just think that obviously there is the issue of, you know, people who don't like people who are more like, how should I say, like people who identify a bit more structurally in terms of like, you know, I'm gay, I like only men, not both men and women or all gender identities, like people who are a bit more structured in their sexuality, for lack of a better term, like they'll kind of they'll be the ones who might have a bit kind of prejudice towards people who are a bit more fluid and like, oh, I don't really like labels and whatever it is. And like, I don't know, from the way, from like what I remember growing up, a lot of people who were like already identified as gay, like they didn't like, or they didn't respond as well to people or celebrities who like didn't give a strict label. It was like, if they, if they like, I was like, hmm, hmm, who knows, like give a wink or whatever it is like that to them felt like they like that to them felt like queer baiting and it was like are you actually with us are you against us and it's like i think just the sign of the fact that kit connor you know with like the support that rallied around kit connor came from that came from the angle of oh like queer baiting can't can't be just one person like he should be able to you know have his sexuality and have that be private i think that i think the support that happened just shows how far like queer representation and queer fandom has kind of come because let's say like like 10, 15 years ago, it would have totally been different. It would have been, um, you know, a, like a person playing a gay person, a person, an actor playing a gay person on a, on a TV show. Like, are you actually gay or are you straight? Like there was never any like thought of like, maybe he's bisexual, maybe he's just queer, maybe he's pan. Like there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of room, there wasn't a lot of wiggle room. You know what I mean? Whereas now I feel like it's more of a, like, it's the whole idea of it being a spectrum is a bit more welcomed and accepted. So it's like, oh, well, like, who cares? Like, Kit Connor could be, could be queer. He could be not. Like, what does it matter? It's up to him. Whereas, like, 15 years ago, and even, even now, because we saw it happen, but, like, 15 years ago, it was more around, more centered around, like, you have to, if you're playing a gay role, you have to be either gay or straight. Like, which one is it? You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I mean, Maybe I don't that makes you... sense, or am I just talking out of my ass now? <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, I also just don't agree that one person can't queer bait. Yeah, exactly. Like um because you know the the example that comes to mind in this day and age is Harry Styles. Yes, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> um and like talented musician, talented singer and songwriter and that's fine. Hmm. But you know, has been for years I think teasing people. And using this phrase of, well, why does it matter? I'm just comfortable in my sexuality. And yeah. that's fine. I don't mind, you know, I don't mind masculine men being comfortable in their sexuality and doing whatever they want. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you and and I do I do actually love the fact that Harry Styles, you know, always starts his concerts by saying it's a safe space. You could be whoever you want. Um but at the same time, don't tell me that you haven't benefited by kind of roping in the LGBTQ community. No, absolutely. Like that's, um, it's a whole, it's a whole problem. And I think that's, I think it's just like social media and like Twitter in general, like they, 
like it kind of has a tendency to take words like queer baiting and twist it into it being like a dirty word. And it's like, oh, we don't say that. Or like, it's not like, it, no, like you can queer, like queer baiting is a thing. And I think it's just that it's been so misconstrued by people like Harry Styles that it's like, what's, you know, where do, where do we stand on it? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think the issue is also that people hesitate to use the word queer baiting because they think we're conflating um, actual queer baiting with people just not wanting to, um, you know, say what they are. Yeah. For lack of a better term. Like, you know what I mean? Maybe, maybe somebody like in Kit Connor's case wasn't comfortable coming out and saying I'm bisexual. Yeah. Um, and that's completely his choice. He's allowed not to want to do that. Yeah. But then people then accuse him of queer baiting because he's playing a bisexual character. Yeah, um, which is just un like unfair. Like all of this to say, like all of my clarification on my opinions towards the concept of queer baiting aside, like that's not what Kit Connor was doing. Like I don't like so many other examples spring to mind. As I said, like Nick Jonas, like that was queer baiting. Like he was totally, he was totally just like making suggestions like erotic or like uh, allusions to erotic experiences like that was totally queer baiting what kit connor was doing was not that at all and even then like like you know a thousand articles and tweets have said it's none of our business he can you know he can be straight and play a gay role that's fine but i think even if he was straight or even if he wasn't queer um he, I think Kit Connor in the months since the first season of Heart Cyber came out has more than proved himself as an ally. So even if he wasn't, he, even if he didn't. Right, but I think the question then becomes that just because you're an ally doesn't mean that you should play queer roles. Yeah, which is a, like that. that in which itself, is a whole different question for sure. Yeah, that in itself is a whole other story. You know, mm-hmm. um, and it's a fair question to ask. Yeah. But, you know, I think we also just live in a society where we completely go from zero to a hundred and freak out really quickly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a lot of it is justified. I think like in cases of Nick Jonas and, um, Harry Styles and another one that comes to mind is, um, Charlie Poot. Oh my God. I'm <laughs> I was going to say that, but I wasn't even sure if you were even aware of, I, I, well, I'm aware because of like, I don't think he's, talented um but uh, he's also funny looking like no offense to charlie puth fans he's funny looking like well i don't know about that fix Uh, your eyebrow please (laughs) yeah that's weird um i don't know about that but i i I do have to say like i not that i enjoy charlie puth um but um i remember when the controversy came out it was a whole what was it like a filter on yeah there was a filter he's also just like posted some really i think i i again i haven't really looked into it that much but i have seen like other you know twitter gays kind of freaking out about charlie pooth well the big one was that he, the, he used a filter on twitter on tiktok that um you know purported he used words like top or bottom which are usually reserved for gay community yeah talking about their sexual positions or whatever <laughs> sexual proclivity shall we say you know and then like he posted this really cheeky twitter winking and talking about him being a gay or uh, a top or a bottom and like you were clearly 100% queer baiting <laughs> like like i'm sorry like that is queer baiting like i don't yeah, like, like you're clearly trying to create a splash and get people talking about you for all the wrong reasons right yeah so like for so like just to clarify what 
Nick Jonas, as I described and what Charlie Puth has done in terms of like baiting, like baiting gay people who, especially like gay men who are a lot of the driving force in profit from pop music because the gays love their pop music. Like that is queer baiting because you are trying to reel them in and profit from selling something to them. Whereas a, I just, I just think it's different. Like in my opinion, I just think that like that's queer baiting, but like an actor who, you know, let's say, let's say a straight actor playing a gay role, like without fully disclosing his own sexuality, like that to me is not, that to me doesn't really qualify as the same level of queer baiting. Like, although I will say, I don't think it qualifies as queer baiting necessarily, but I will say when you make it a pattern mm -hmm. to take gay roles, queer roles, um, and you know, you've been called out time and again for taking away those roles because it's not like we don't have queer, talented queer actors yeah, exactly. um, or directors or producers. Another example that comes to mind is James Franco. Oh, absolutely. Um, oh God. That's, you know, queer, that's queer baiting. <laughs> and I mean, that's, that's also a whole different story because he kind of uses the fact that he uses queer baiting, um, to kind of distract from the fact that he's been accused of sexual misconduct so many times. Yes. For so sure. that's also um, just really shitty on top of being um, yeah. queer baiting, right? But that whole conversation, I don't remember what year it came out in, but that whole conversation where he's like, um, you know, I'm straight James Franco right now and I'm talking to gay straight James Franco. Yeah, I was going to say, he, he, he said a bunch of times, like... He said a bunch of times, like, some really shitty things about, like, well, I guess I'm kind of gay in my art, but not... In yeah, exactly. Life. I was going to say, like, I'm gay in my art, but straight in my life I mean, or something. You can't choose when you're gay. No, and that's... Like, that's weird. not how this works. And then he said something like, I don't remember the quote, but he said something like, I guess I'm straight in life... Uh, no... I'm gay up until the point of having sex. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, what does that mean? Oh, oh my God. And even then, now that you say that, I remember, I remember, I'm remembering, I think it was 2021 at one point, like Ed Sheeran made some kind of comment in, in an interview that like, he thinks of him like the same kind of thing. Like he thinks of himself as, as gay but like not in a sexual sense and then a bunch of people like reply to the tweet being like hmm interesting i knew when i was gay when i wanted to have sex with men like yeah you can't just say you can't just throw something around like oh i feel gay but not in a sexual way like that's not that's not a thing and obviously if that's your way well, because of kind the of implication to... the implication is also then that like being gay like gay sex is yucky <laughs> you know what i mean yeah and I don't know, like maybe in, in Ed Sheeran's case, I don't want to put words in his mouth or I, pro I probably butchered what he actually said in that interview. Apologies if you're an Ed Sheeran fan and I butchered that. But like, if that's his, like, I don't know, for all we know that maybe that's his way of like testing the waters of like, if he were to come out as some kind of, you know, queer identity, that's fine. But it's just, just be careful with your words. Cause they're like, yeah, I think queer baiting just depends on your intention. And I don't know, like you said, there's obviously a lot of actors like James Franco who like make it, make it a pattern of taking gay roles away from actual gay actors. And that's a whole other story. All of this to say, dear loved ones, dear listeners, Kit Connor was not queer baiting. Okay. And it was really shitty that people, trolls on Twitter made him feel so shitty about, you know, not being out publicly that he felt the need to have to jump on Twitter and write that tweet. That was just a dick move on, on people who were, you know, making his 
phone a living hell, clearly. So um, sending love to Kit Connor, obviously. Um, and I even, one last thing I wanted to say in terms of like the way that's like the way that the that media reacts to um, actors playing gay roles is like, because there's just, because they're just so few and far between, like there's so few goods I'm not gonna say good because it's as good as subjective but like there's just so few like genuine needy gay roles with substance out there even now in 2022 that's like when a character like Nick Nelson comes along or a character like Jack McFarland or Connor Walsh from How to Get Away with Murder like those characters were just they were so rare and they stood out because they were they were strong queer characters and so when a character like that sticks out because people respond to it, the first thing the media is going to start to look into is like, oh, well, is that person actually gay? Like, is this, is this an authentic performance? And I think we, like, as a culture, need to kind of check ourselves on that and just not, like, just check yourselves and just not that, not have that inclination to always ask yourself, like, oh, well, is he gay? And, you know, you can ask yourself that, but like, don't make it, don't make it like a defining point of being able to enjoy the performance. I know there's a lot of actors, I know there's a lot of gay people who believe wholeheartedly that straight actors should not be playing gay roles. That's their, that's your, your God-given right to, to feel that way. Uh, I personally think it's a bit more nuanced than that. I, you know, I just don't think it's that black or white, but it's just, I think we all need to just kind of stop with that inclination to ask. And I get, and like I said, I get it. It's because there's just so few genuinely compelling gay roles with substance out there that it's like, as soon as there is one, we, you know, we just think our, we sink our fangs into it because we love it so much and we kind of love it until it, until it hate until we hate it and it turns on us. And that's what happens. And then it leads to Kit Connor having to come out on Twitter when he shouldn't have had to. So just check yourselves. Okay. Also a reminder, he's a child. He's a ch- like he's 18. Like he met, he said that in his tweet. Like, congrats on forcing an 18-year-old to have to label himself publicly. And in that interview where he said he didn't feel a need to have to label himself publicly, he's like, we're all still so young. Like Heartstopper was a show about teenagers, played by teenagers. So like calm yourselves. <laughs> Seriously. Anyways, anyway. that concludes today's queer baiting discussion. Yes, today's rant. Thank you for uh listening to that. If you did. Um, and if you have any thoughts on this whole discourse, this whole ugly incident, please let us know because we want to hear from you. Onwards and upwards. Let's do it. Episode three of season five, written in the stars. Uh-huh. What were your first impressions of this episode? So it's clear it's the f- episode that a lot of people have been waiting for. Mm-hmm. Um, after five long years, we're finally getting a Lorelai Luke date. Yes. Um, so we talked a lot last week, last time and the time before about how they're still teasing us, the writers, by not giving us what we want. (laughs) And that is an actual, you know, more than five seconds of them just talking on the phone. We want actual substance. We want something. Yeah, I think they really, I think the writers really really followed through on the whole slow burn aspect of the relationship that it pretty much defined the first four seasons of like, here's a crumb or it's like, here's more crumbs. And it's like, no, we want an actual date. We want some actual substance to this relationship. Yeah. The thing though, is that like slow burns work 
Mm -hmm. um it's agonizing but it works you know like when they do finally get together you can tell people like breathe a sigh of relief um the problem is is that in this case it happened and then they made a slow burn again yeah and i'm like no (laughs) it feels it feels calculated honestly the the more that i sure i think it's smart but also like a little bit annoying but um I think I think it was my father who told me this when we were watching Gilmore Girls. Um, but like historically, if you look at ratings, and this yeah. is true, I looked it up after he told me. Um, when the characters that you want to get together and that have been hinting at getting together for a while, when they finally do get together, um, ratings go up. Yeah. For like, I think it's something, I can't remember the statistics right now. I'll have to get back to you. But they go up <laughs> for a certain period of time and then they drop dramatically. Yeah. And I makes- think, um, and that's historically accurate, like across the board, going back to the beginning of television mm-hmm. um, or at least the beginning of slow burns. So I think it was smart of them to prolong it as much as possible, but it just comes to a point where you can't anymore. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you you have to hit that sweet spot of like, this is still fun for the audience watching the will they won't they yeah. versus, okay, now it's not fun anymore. Let them do something, mm-hmm. you know, um, I'm still on the fence about whether or not they hit that sweet spot. What I will say is that this episode, mm-hmm. uh, I think up until this point is one of the most romantic episodes. Like out of all, out of the whole, the whole series. Yeah. Interesting. Up until like, this point, I think so. Like romantic in terms of just Lorelai and Luke, or more, uh, like elsewhere as well. <laughs> well, sorry. What other romances there elsewhere in the episode? Well, there's like the ending, which is not so romantic, but you know. <laughs> Ew! No, I wasn't even the thinking lo- that. <laughs> oh, an idiot. It alludes to, uh, you know. No, that's not romantic, okay? That's a stupid decision by a stupid 20-year-old. I didn't think so either. Anyway. Great. (laughs) The the first note I made about this episode was it's the first appearance of Robert the butler slash valet. Yeah. Who Lorelai Lorelai thinks might be in a um, homosexual relationship with her father. (laughs) Queer baiting. (laughs) uh no i'm kidding but um yeah it's the beginning of this ridiculous arrangement of richard living in the pool house and having drinks and the girls having drinks with him and dinner with emily and you know lorelei and rory kind of talk about how it's really ridiculous that they have to split their time now um i want to know from you do you think it's a weird arrangement that he's living in the pool house i think it's weird that they like to think of it as a separation when it's literally just this two of them still living in their same mansion, just different wings of the same mansion. Well, and... here's the thing. The pool house <laughs> is a completely different entity. I kind of agree with you, but the pool house is a completely different entity. And it makes sense that let's, he's not the type to, let's say, go out and buy his own apartment kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Um, and it also makes sense for them because they're not telling people about the separation is what we find out later on um, from Emily. But that pool house is nicer than some apartments I visited right. when I was looking for an apartment. 
Like, it's got everything you need. Pretty much. So why would you go buy another apartment or rent another apartment when there's that? You know what I mean? Yeah. I think the whole problem with their separation, and obviously Rory and Lorelai have already picked up on that, is that, like, their idea of a separation is literally just that. Like, let's separate. Like, let's not work on or resolve anything. I think, yeah. and I think, obviously, we see later on that it kind of just resolves itself because there was it was their separation was just petty and vindictive to begin with but um I don't know just what like it's I I kind of am with Lorelai and Rory where it's just like it's ridiculous to have to shuffle between the pool house for drinks and dinner in the main house it's like I don't I don't know yeah I think (laughs) um so I 100% agree I think their separation is literally just a physical separation um I think when you when you say like we're separating we're not divorcing we're separating I think there's still the implication that you're going to be working on your marriage yeah um but I will say I think a separation can also be just sometimes for you Mm -hmm. like I think maybe they both needed that time away from each other yeah um maybe just to be alone I don't know um and I mean, we'll explore that later on of the season when we see more of their time alone together. But right now it's still the beginning phases of like them still very angry at each other mm-hmm. and being kind of snooty with each other and like, don't work on your cars in the garage. Don't come into the house. Don't go into your study and him like, you know, telling her not to go to this luncheon. And so it's all very petty still right now. Yeah. Um, which I think is normal. You know, it's it's still very recent. Um, they're still very angry at each other. But see, that's the thing, too, is that I really don't believe that Richard and Emily thought their separation through that well. It's like, as as Emily, as Emily points out later, the only people who know the separation in their life are Lorelai and Rory. So it's like, it's, a, it's that's like I said, it's just a physical separation because they show no intention to actually work on the marriage because that would imply like feeling our feelings, which they're not particularly uh, strong at. And being, being actually separated would imply like it being a common, it being common knowledge, which they would net, which they would not ever admit publicly because gasp clutching our pearls like no we don't like in Richard and Emily society divorce is a very very not even divorce separation is a very very scary dirty word so I think it's I think it's just a again I think it's just kind of a I don't know an experiment that they're doing with each other almost yeah I mean I would argue that most separations are kind of impulsive Hmm. um like I would argue it's the it's the marriage equivalent of saying let's take a break yeah that's what i feel like whenever i hear separation mm-hmm. um but i i completely agree with you that to you know a separation means that you're not taking the the full step of getting divorced and dissolving your marriage so that means you should be working on it right you should be actively trying to either work something out with your partner and then see like okay it's really not working we're really grown apart so we will divorce, but, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's normal to be a little bit impulsive in a separation yeah. um, because I think this is true for a lot of breaks, breakups, separations, whatever you want to call them. 
um they're born of anger most times <laughs> you know um yeah. an actual divorce can be like okay we've tried we've done this we've done that i've fallen out of love with you whatever a break can just be that as well but to say like we're separating we're not telling anyone i'm moving to the pool house <laughs> you know i think it's just it's petty and it's it's still they're still very much in the angry phase yeah. of this um but i think you and not to say like i understand what you're saying when you say like to work on it you would actually have to talk about your feelings <laughs> um i think they also just need to feel that anger right now yeah you're right it's part of it it's you know like, like especially Emily, who's been holding so much in for so many years. Mm -hmm. I think it's okay that she's giving herself the opportunity to feel angry um, and to actually speak her mind with her husband and tell him that she's angry, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so I don't want to discount anger completely <laughs> in this whole thing. No, um, I think, no, you're right. Like they, they both, they both need to, just have their own reactions and Emily needs to be angry. I just think in the long run, they don't like nothing, like it just kind of resolves itself on its own. Like they don't really, they kind of address some of this, some of, some of the stuff that led to the separation, but yeah. not, not in the, not in the way that would imply to the viewer that, Oh, they've actually worked through this. Yeah. Not so much. <laughs> yeah. And I think, um, you know, as angry as they are with each other, mm -hmm. There's obviously still feelings there. Yeah. For sure. Because we see when um when Richard leaves at 7:30 <laughs> and Emily catches him, quote unquote. Um, you know, it's she's angry at him, obviously. And a lot, and I think a lot of it is also like, like she said, I don't want to be home alone at 7:30 and him going out. Yeah. But I think in the back of her mind, she's just like, what is he doing? Who is he going out with? Like, is he leaving me behind? He has plans. Because it's also becoming very clear to me um, that Emily Gilmore needs a hobby. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like, it must be very sad to be in your 60s and not know what you like or, you know, even know what you want to do for the rest of the evening. Yeah, I think the only hobbies she ever had pertained to her married life, you know, it was like planning functions, planning yeah. yada, 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 whatever it was. Or um, I think we both know her biggest hobby is um, yelling at maids and firing them. So she needs, she needs a bit other, she needs a bit more oomph in her life besides just doing that all day. <laughs> yeah. But did you notice that this is the first time that she's actually nice to a maid? Pretty much. Um. So part of me kind of thinks that like, Richard kind of brings out the worst in her <laughs> only yeah. because when it comes to like this, this tidiness and keeping the house because it's her only job. Mm -hmm. I think she sees it as like, this is the only thing I do all day. And while my husband's out there working and providing for us. So I got to make sure that I run a tight ship um, so that he knows like I'm not slacking at my job. Right. So I think she's extra hard on the maids because um she wants people to see, or at least she wants Richard to see that like her domain, her job, she's in full control. Yeah, no, that's true. And it's like you said before, Emily has a lot of anger and yeah. has always had a lot of anger just in, just in general. In general, yeah. So, you know, that anger needs an outlet and very often it's the maids. <laughs> yeah. And I think now the fact that she also just doesn't have to prove herself to Richard anymore. 
Mm-hmm. Like she's living, you can tell she's living alone. She's putting on the music she likes. She had an omelet for dinner. You know what I mean? She's she's maybe gaining a little bit more confidence. Yeah. And um, doesn't have to take it out on the maids anymore. True. Um, but that was a terrible maid's name, by the way. Okay, yeah. I'm so glad you brought it up. Because okay, because I, I was going to ask you if you remember the name. <laughs> okay, so I literally made a note <laughs> about, and I wrote I wrote down who the hell names their child Madonna Louise, and then I figured it out. I figured it out. Tell me. I'm I'm I could be wrong. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not on. I wasn't in the writers' room when they came up with it, but um, I don't know. I don't know how it came into my head just having written down the words Madonna Louise. I think it just, you know, being the um, effervescent gay that I am, I realized just having read it, written the words that Madonna, like Louise is Madonna, the singer's middle name. So Madonna Louise. I wonder if that was some kind of nod to the singer. I don't know. Maybe. You never but, know. I don't know. Just when I read it, when I was writing it down, I was like, wait, wait, Madonna Louise Chaconi or whatever, how you pronounce her last name. Oh, her you're asking name. the wrong person. Um, but I remember Madonna Louise and I was like, oh, wait. And I, even, I just, and I pulled up her Wikipedia page really quick to make sure I wasn't crazy. And I'm like, it is her middle name. Well, so who knows? Maybe whoever wrote this episode was a Madonna fan. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, if my name was Madonna Louise, my full name. Yeah. I'd get a nickname real quick. <laughs> just like madge or something like (laughs) something my god it's awful anyways that was that was my thoughts but (laughs) um okay moving on from emily and richard um before we talk about the main event which is lorelei and luke Mm -hmm. let's talk about rory going back to school Oh, you want to talk about that? Because it's also the first appearance of, drumroll please, my boyfriend, one Mr. Logan Huntsberger. Yes, ma'am. Although we only hear his first name, and that is the second time they meet. Um, But yeah, so it starts off, Rory's on her way back to school. Um, We get to see her interacting with Marty again, Mm -hmm. which um, we haven't seen in a while. Right. Um, another thing I wrote down, which um, I think I blacked out the first time, was that we find out that Marty's father is not his father. You're you're right. I blocked and that, that his out. uncle is his father. Yeah. Why <laughs> didn't we get more of that story? Ugh, you know, I'm. I'm probably gonna catch hell for saying this. We catch hell for everything we say, pretty That's much. That's true. There's no winning, <laughs> but and I maybe I'll even catch hell with you. I know I don't 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 even remember if we've discussed this before, but like Marty and Rory deserved a fighting chance as a couple. <laughs> I don't agree. I know you don't agree. I was gonna. I knew as soon as I was thinking about it, you weren't gonna agree. But just the more that I watch, like especially season five, and I know it has to do with Logan not making a good first impression, but I don't know. I just think it could have worked in, in another life. <laughs> I just think he's really boring. Yeah, that's why. Like it was like I think they I think they purposely made him boring, right? Yeah. Um because on paper it makes sense. Like he's obviously smart. He got into Yale, like he's working his ass off. They have similar backgrounds, you know, he's working class. He's clearly not um you know as affluent as a lot of the other Yale kids and she can relate to that. I just think they purposely made his character boring 
Mm. Yeah, like they want like they just the way that the show was structured, they make you want to yearn. They make you want to yearn for for Rory to have a bit more. Like we already kind of we we saw in in a different way Rory have that kind of relationship with with Dean in the earlier seasons where it was like they had that comfortable to and fro that then became too comfortable. So it's like let's bring Jess into the mix, and then I think if they had done something like that with. Rory and Marty at college, it would have just been a reiteration of the same storyline. Pretty yeah, much. Yeah, I mean, I also just like the idea of Rory having a male friend. Yeah. Like, not every guy she meets has to fall in love with her. Um, or, like, she doesn't have to date every guy that she meets. And so we're halfway there. Marty did clearly fall in love with her. Yeah. But, I mean, it's just unrealistic to think that every single man you interact with, you're going to end up dating yeah, uh-huh. no, I like I like them as friends too. I think just exactly, the, yeah. The more that I watch, it's like, oh well, what if? What if they had gone there? You yeah, know? yeah, for sure. I mean, I've definitely had those thoughts as well. But it's just, I think it's more realistic to keep them friends because, I mean, I think it's just more realistic to send the message that guys and girls can be friends. Yeah. Um, you know, and Rory's nice. She's friendly, and Marty's seems perfectly nice as well. So at least up to this point, they can be friends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's another thing. Um, okay, before we talk about Logan, I want to talk about this Paris Asher storyline that finally comes to an end because Asher dies, thank God. Um, There was a pause there. I was like, Asher dies. Yeah, he's dead. Yeah, I was going to say something else, but then I was like, no. (laughs) Um, so here's the thing. So Rory calls Paris. She finds out Asher Fleming died. Um, I, well, number one, I want to say that I love that everyone's, everyone assumes that he died during sex. Yeah. Number one, that should tell you how old he is compared to Paris. <laughs> and number two, I completely believe that Paris's vagina could kill a man. Yeah, exactly. I'm 100% convinced that Paris Geller's vagina has superpowers. And can I just say as we, as we <laughs> superpowers, <laughs> Yeah. um, can I just say, as we dive into Paris in this episode, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not a good look for her. This mournful widow crap. It's- okay, so I wrote the exact same thing down. I said I don't understand. Like her playing the widow is making me very uncomfortable. It is. It's it's very unbecoming. <laughs> and I don't know why they chose this route for her. Because genuinely, all- very perplexing for me. Yeah, and I, everything that we know about Paris Geller, like now all these years since the show went off the air the first time, like Paris became pretty much not like a, and Rory too, but Paris in a different way. I'm thinking of that TikTok that went around uh, a while ago where it's like some, it's like a, a girl studying really hard and the camera's like really shaking. It's like Paris studying really hard to get into Harvard, do, doing all these extracurriculars, like literally wearing herself down to the bone and it cuts to Rory, like Rory after school, like in a freaking fairy tale dress, like, yeah making cookies or something it's like i think of that where it's like pop culture kind of views paris now as like the quintessential like work yourself to the bone girl and then later on realize like oh wait i'm enough as i am and like i guess for lack of a better terms kind of like a kind of a feminist icon and you know just her ability to put people in their place and her bluntness and ability to you know be paris to the best of her abilities like all everything everything of that in mind when you watch this episode is like it's it's just it's 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 a big no it's a big no for me yeah it's (laughs) It's... really far like 
it's very different from the Paris we first met. And so the only thing I can really think of is that it's exactly what you said. This maybe like she's always worked really hard. Um, and she realized that she still didn't couldn't accomplish what she wanted to accomplish, even though she busted her ass. So yeah, I think her dating Asher was kind of a I'm just letting go and doing what I want to do because clearly being the good girl who's who does everything she's supposed to do, like it clearly doesn't work out the way you want it to anyways. So why not do something impulsive and do what I want to do, right? Um, yeah. So that's the only thing like I've grappled with is the lot of the storyline of making her date Asher. Um, and that's mm-hmm. really the only thing that I can think of. Now, in terms of this episode, her playing like the widow who's taking care of everything and talking about his children as if they're her stepchildren and like wanting like his money and the will and wanting to throw him awake. And even the way they dressed her in a pantsuit and pearls. I'm like, yeah. honey, you need another therapist because <laughs> like, no. How many therapists do you think Paris went through? I don't know, but there's one out there for her. Like, (laughs) I want to offer my services. It's just not a good look at all. And I'm just, I wish they hadn't done that. I wish they had. I think it was meant, obviously, for comic effects. It only happened in this episode. And I think they were trying to bring the Asher storyline to a close from season four. I don't think they they would have brought it to a close so much better. And so much more in line with the Paris we know and love. Is if she just came to her senses and kicked his old ass to the curb. Yeah, I know. It's true. Like, because even I I understand what you're saying about like them doing it for comedic relief, because even at the end where they're throwing the wake and she's so delusional that she thinks that people are actually there to mourn Asher Fleming, you know, I'm like, oh, my God, Paris, get your head out of your ass. There's a fucking keg in your living room. (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? So I don't. I genuinely don't understand why they went this route. Um, yeah. Maybe it was funny to some people. To me, it was just like, to be fair, she does bounce back very quickly in this season. Yeah. And she's, she yeah. goes back to the Paris we know and love, like the Chilton Paris. Um, so I understand this season four kind of being a transition period for her. But this episode for me was just doing Paris a disservice. No, it was. I think, like, I the only thing I can think of, like I said, is that they write the writers thought like hey for comic relief in this one episode like like let's write asher off as saying he died and have you know paris play the wit- play this like weird widow role for one episode and then like snap our fingers and she's back to the old paris like yeah that's yeah. all i can think of is, is is in their choice to kill off asher phase out asher fleming by killing him off like they they said to themselves like hey how can we how can we how, how can we wrap this up in one episode with paris and it was like Let's have her be the. Let's have her like pretend she's a widow or act like a widow, and it. I think it, I think it landed better at the time. Whereas now we come from a bit of a different cultural perspective in terms of. I don't know. We we both read My Dark Vanessa. We saw how that turned out. So um, I think that combined with Me Too and Times Up, it's just. It's not. I think that's what I mean when I say it's not a good look and it's unbecoming. It's just like that. We and we talked about this at length in season four, and we think we even. We even said this is not like my dark Vanessa, but the more we, <laughs> the more we dug, I felt it was a lot like that story. Um, to me, it was just it's gross, but like the word gross doesn't even summarize it. It's just it's 
it's not it. It's not cute. And I think at the time, obviously, there was less cultural awareness of that. But even then, I think it's to look back, I think even in my perspective and, you know, I am a white man. So take take from this what you will. But to me, it's just like looking back, like even then, I think people should have known better. I think there should like it shouldn't have just been this this kind of afterthought this footnote of oh sometimes teachers sleep with students like even in the scene where Logan and Rory are interacting for the second time when she's putting up posters and he's like oh he's he's like oh were you two like and he was implying just because she was putting up posters of a dead professor it's like oh they must be sleeping together like to me it was just in this episode and in general it's just the concept of student teacher relations is kind of normalized when it really shouldn't have ever been yeah and I was reading recently that um a lot of universities a lot of colleges up until recently didn't have an explicit policy about um having relationships with your students so for a lot of colleges and universities it's frowned upon but it's not explicitly forbidden yeah like on on friends when Ross dated the the student it was like there was no well well, now that I'm thinking about it, wait, there was, so no, I think he, he believed it was frowned upon and then he found out there was an actual policy. So then it had to be, so, but even then, like he, he didn't, he didn't even know there was a policy. Like he thought it yeah. he thought it was just frowned yeah. upon. So like, let's do it in, like, let's do it in private, which no, is. No, but I think the reasoning for why it is frowned upon, and to be fair, a lot of universities are moving more towards this explicit language about, um, you know, relationships between an authority figure and um a subordinate but Mm -hmm. for the longest time and i and i think it still exists there is not explicit um there aren't explicit rules about it and the reasoning being that you're two consenting adults you're allowed to do whatever you want but now that we know the nuances of the situation a little bit better um Mm -hmm. a lot of universities are moving towards outright forbidding it which you know well, yeah because we've seen, we've seen time and time again even like even before me too and time's up like there was there was always the presence of this power dynamic and i think it's just it's kind of sad to me who you know never was and never would be in that situation because like i said i'm a white man i'm not a woman who would have find themselves in that situation and i sympathize if anybody listening has ever you know had that happen to them which is just terrible but to Mm -hmm. me it's like why like why would you never not like I don't know to me it's just sad that it took us so long as a culture to acknowledge that the presence of that power dynamic that just puts the woman no matter no matter no matter if you're two contending adults or not like there's like you said there's nuance to it that we just didn't consider and it's not okay (laughs) Yeah, and just for reference, as of 2018, I just looked it up. No Canadian universities ban these relationships. Oh, that's good. As of 2018. And the language surrounding, um, this is from the University of Toronto's uh, student newspaper, and the language surrounding um, these relationships are also very, very um, vague. (laughs) They talk about things like having influence and having... um, you know, a conflict of interest, but they don't explicitly ban them outright. So um, do better. Yeah, do better. (laughs) Do better, guys. So that was as of 2018. Um, Okay, so moving away from Paris and this upsetting 
the only thing keeping me going with Paris, honestly, is the fact that I know she's going to bounce back so quick. So <laughs> I'm ready, Paris. Let's go. Um, the last big thing that happens at Yale is, like you said, the first appearance of Logan and his posse, shall we say? Um, and so I wanted to ask you, does Logan... So first of all, your first impressions and... Does he make a bad first impression? Okay, absolutely, yes. Okay. <laughs> um, no, my first impression of Logan is pretty much the same every single time I watch this episode. It's, I even made a note. It's funny you're asking. I made a note saying, you know, did they expect people to like Logan based on this first appearance? Because I think, I think the more I watch it, obviously it becomes clear just based on that interaction, that second interaction between Rory and Logan. It's like, something's brewing and I think they were yeah. kind of lay the groundwork for you know her you know they they disagree and he she might you know she, she might you know make him see things differently or whatever all those to be like all that garbage but <laughs> I don't know to me it's like everything that I don't like about Logan is is in his first episodes like is in his his earlier arc on this on the series like I do think Logan I do come around and I do like Logan a lot in season six and seven in different instances but in season five not so much so I think my in answer to your question my first impression of him is just you know douchey douchey um what's the term trust fund playboy who just kind of views every everyone and everything as, as disposable and yeah. we later learn that yeah. we later learn that you know he there is more to him and there's more to the way that he acts based on his upbringing which we'll get to but um i think what so i think what what brings out my dislike for logan and then you'll probably disagree but i made a note about it too is i fucking hate colin and finn yeah i so do not like that i I do not like them. I never and I never come around to them. I never like them. Even in the even in the revival, they drive me nuts. So, uh, yeah, I I I think all the things you said about Logan are very accurate. Um, but I don't think we get a lot of that from the first scene. I think it's more it comes across more in the second scene that he has with Rory. They're one on one. Um, yeah. Because in the first scene, like, yeah, okay, he has his arm get around a girl. And he's talking about making margaritas and he doesn't remember the bartender, which is a little shitty if you've hired somebody so many times. But in that scene, Colin was really the asshole. Um, mm -hmm. Like talking about Marty being very small, like go fuck yourself. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so in that in the second scene that they have together, um, I think, yeah, like you said, it's really clear. They wouldn't go through the trouble of setting up that scene and making them have such a witty back and forth Um if it wasn't, if he wasn't set up to be the new love interest. Yeah. Um, you know, which I think at this stage is still kind of up in the air, especially the way the episode ends with Rory going back to Dean's house and her kind of not knowing where she stands with Dean. Um, Let's put a pin in that because there's lots to unpack there. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I'm just saying it's it's a little bit, when you're when you look at the episode as a whole, when you first watch it, it's a little bit complicated because she goes back to Dean then they're introducing this new love interest you're thinking in your head how is this gonna work you're like oh my god anyone but Dean but then this guy's kind of an asshole so you just don't know what's going on you know yeah um, 
but I, I, I will I just, say I just think that you go ahead sorry <laughs> no sorry I, I was just gonna say um I think first impressions of Logan you can tell that he really likes to banter her like banter yeah. with her and like he is just doing it to rile her up he even says it like for the sake of argument like he just wants to argue with her but I think at yeah. this stage it's very much like oh here's another pretty girl that I'm gonna like seduce pretty much you know so and she's clearly not having it I mean Paris has her putting up fucking posters of Asher Fleming she's not having it um <laughs> and you know at first I I do remember thinking that I thought this was going to be like another Tristan situation mm-hmm. where like they just introduce this guy that gets under her skin and like teases her and there's like a kind of will they won't they um which would have been annoying and juvenile yeah because i'm like yeah that makes sense in high school but now they're in college and it's like nobody wants to see that um so but he does give me like major tristan vibes in terms of the way he's like antagonizing her yeah you know um that's a good point i never thought of comparing logan and tristan yeah well whatever to be continued with logan Aspir, as we say. <laughs> um what were you gonna say oh i was just gonna say that like for me there's like colin and finn just have no redeeming qualities because anytime we see them it's like they're trying to egg logan on into doing something stupid or illegal and it's like who cares if we get caught because we're rich and we never deal with any consequences and I think that obviously there is some nuance to that later on, but just whenever Colin Finn around, it's like just that it's a cliche because it's very true to life. It's like, Oh, anytime like you're tr- anytime you're like troublemaking friends around, like they bring out the worst in you. And I don't know, maybe just maybe, maybe I'm just projecting of like bad memories of childhood of like, Oh, anytime those kids are around, it's like something bad happens. But <laughs> um, no, to me, to me, Colin and Finn are just annoying and I don't like them and I never do. So Okay, well, I will say one thing about that. Not very much because, like we said, it's a first impression and we're going to see more of them throughout the season and in the later seasons. But I will say, just like, um, you know, we learned to kind of accept Jess's bullshit because of his background, I think there's something to be said about Colin and Finn and Logan, um, like, along the same lines. Um, Mm -hmm. Because we do kind of learn a little bit about their backgrounds. That's not to say that I completely disagree with you. I Mm -hmm. think, but I think it's written like that on purpose. Like we're meant to see these ultra rich guys, white guys with no consequences, doing whatever they want, drinking whenever they want, partying whenever they want. Um, But I think that's done on purpose to kind of broaden Rory's horizons, if you will. Um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, just like and just like exposure to a different type of person, you know what I mean? Which doesn't we can, really we can talk about that later on in the season. Yeah, I was gonna say which doesn't really end well come season finale, but <laughs> yeah, but yeah, we'll put a pin in that. Um, okay, I think it's time to jump into the date. The date? Oh yeah, the date. We forgot. <laughs> no, we didn't forget. We were just saving it for last. Okay, I forgot. Continue. <laughs> You're a terrible fan. Um, okay, so the date. So the morning of the day that Rory goes back to school, Lorelai and Rory have breakfast at the diner. 
and she's doing that whole hot plates he called me hot plates thing and they're subtly flirting with each other but i think it's really clear that they're both excited for this date do you agree I 100% agree. They're both like Lorelai obviously is a bit more in tune with, uh, you know, her, I'm not going to say with her feelings in general because that's, you know, inaccurate, but more in tune with expressing her feelings, of, you know, visually and vocally. Whereas Luke is a bit more stern and doesn't like, I'm at work. Like, I don't want, yeah, you know, those, are just, those are just their personalities, right? She's clearly just more forward in general and confident. Whereas yeah. he's, he's always been a little bit more um, serious, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. But I think even with that, you can still tell that he's excited as well. Um, And yeah, I think it's just really, really cute to see them looking forward to going out with each other. Like they're in high school. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So then it's yeah. Oh no, I was going to say just, it's, it's, it's cute, but in a grown up kind of way, like when you say cute, like, like kind of like the grown up the grown up equivalent of puppy love for whatever that's whatever that's called. <laughs> Pretty much because then we discover when they're actually on their date that you know as much as Lorelai as much as we all know that Lorelai probably had feelings for him for so long, it's mm-hmm. way more clear that he's been pining for her way longer than she could have ever imagined. Right? Yeah. So yeah. I have a so I have thoughts on that. <laughs> yeah. So. This whole thing of they met eight years. Oh my god, I I wrote the same thing. I wrote the math isn't mathing. Yeah, it's not right. Okay, it's not just me. So let's think of this logically. If Luke and Lorelai met eight years before this point, that would mean three years before the start of the series. So that would mean Rory. No, hold on. If they met eight years ago, so five in two thousand. So if they met, yeah, let's say it was eight years that would have been like three years oh yeah that would have been like 97 which would have been three years before the start of the series well no because it would have meant that rory's 11 well see the math isn't mathing because no because if they met eight years ago and rory's now 19 that means they met when she was 11 right and that still doesn't make any sense because we know from past episodes and future episodes that Luke has alluded to the fact that, you know, he's known Lor- Rory and Lorelai way longer. Um, yeah, we, and we've talked to this before, actually, like in the first season, they kind of they were estab- they were kind of establishing the Luke and Lorelai dynamic and they hadn't yeah. really they weren't really clear on the backstory of how long they'd known each other. So I think. I think it's what in the soap opera world is called a retcon, where it's like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is not really a retcon, but it's like they kind of establish more firm details as the storyline goes on, which happens a lot more on on sitcoms, I find. So, but I think they could have at least put a little bit more thought into it because if you really think about it, Lorelai moved to Stars Hollow when she when Rory was one. Yes, and it just doesn't make sense that if she was in Stars Hollow, working in Stars Hollow. For that long, she would. You're telling me she waited ten years to walk into the diner, or like that was my other question. Like when when did Luke's open? Like what's the timeline of how long Luke has Luke's been there? Yeah, that's another thing. Like when did his dad? Like when did his dad die and the hardware store became? Yeah, turned into Luke's diner because it could very well just be that like she yeah she moved when Rory was one, but it was still a hardware store, and then you know it became Luke's. 
I don't know. It's just the math isn't mathing. I think that's more likely is like when Lorelai was first moved there and Rory was little, it was a, it was a hardware store because if you recall when Fran dies um, in season three, when they're like, when they're walking to the funeral, Lorelai says um, that it was like the bakery was the first place she went into when she moved, like like her first day in town was the bakery was the first place she went into. And I think like the like Fran like Weston's was like the only place for cookies. Remember, because like you took me away from the cookie lady, so it's like, yeah, I don't know. I would think like I'm thinking that's more likely is that when Lorelai first moved to town, it was still a hardware store. And yeah, she- I think that's probably the case. But the other thing that really pisses me off about that route is the fact that you know we've the whole town has like alluded to the fact that they've known Rory since she was yay high, mm-hmm. um, and she was like waiting for fairies in the fairy tree because there's there's this dynamic that the whole town kind of knows each other so then why wouldn't Lorelai have known Luke's dad when it was still a hardware store and also in season one how would she not have known Rachel exactly <laughs> which and I remember also in season one when the episode with Rachel with where she finds out about Rachel and Suki's like, oh, well, you were, you were busy. You had, you know, you were doing this, you were moving into this house. I want to know. Yeah. You had a, she said something like you had an eight-year-old or a six-year-old or whatever the fuck. Yeah. I want to know. No, I think she was, I don't know. But I want to know, like, maybe, maybe you have a bit of an idea. Like when do you think Lorelai and Roy moved into the house? Ugh, that's another thing that has over the years plagued me <laughs> because yeah, because how long could they have lived at the inn in the potting shed like that's but remember- not only how long could they have lived in the inn how long do you have to work as a maid mm-hmm. to be able to afford your house you know what i mean like i think but realistically thinking i'm I, I would think by the time that she bought a house she was no longer a maid like she kind of worked like she obviously worked herself up to manager of the entire thing so i think you think she was already manager when she bought the house no i think but i think she was like somewhere between maid and manager like maybe she yeah. kept something else or was a bit more money and she saved up and I yeah don't it's, all, it's, I don't... All, it's all very akin to a country i know that's the thing when i when i go down this rabbit hole it hurts my brain <laughs> because i've also throughout the years always thought about like she was probably 22 when she bought a house and here I am at 30, still renting this piece of shit. Okay, I've been to your apartment. It's not a piece of shit. But no, I- but you know what I mean. <laughs> no, I know what you mean. In terms of like, it's, you're 22 and you live in, you know, a, the town, a, a town that's, that's the size of a, of a pea and you can yeah. afford anything. But interesting that I said that it's this like Lorelai's whole situation, living in the potting shed and then moving to like saving up for a house, like with her, with her daughter as a single teenage mom like it sounds like a country song um yes seriously <laughs> have you ever seen the movie with drew barrymore called riding in cars with boys yeah okay so there's a line from the beginning of that movie that always sticks to me in terms of like a something sound like a country song where it's the her son the, the like drew barrymore's son in the movie is narrating from like the present day and mm-hmm. he says um if her life or if if she'd been from the south i don't remember like that's i'm butchering the quote now but if she'd been from the south she would have made her life into a country song but since she's from connecticut she turned it into a book so anytime i think of lorelei's life as terms of a country song i'm like she's from connecticut she would have wrote a book (laughs) yeah very idyllic (laughs) yeah um okay let's talk about 
the date itself, they get to Sniffy's Tavern. Okay, that's what it's called. I never, I, every single time I watch, I'm like, what, what the hell is the name of this place again? But also, that's a terrible name for a restaurant. Yeah. Um, the back of the menu was super depressing. <laughs> like that's the end. The end of the menu is he dies. Like, Sniffy no, was dead. There's no other. That's the end. I mean, I'm sure there was more, but she just stopped reading because I would. <laughs> um, but I do like that we get to see a little. We get a little teeny tiny glimpse of Luke's life outside of Stars Hollow. Okay, and but in terms of the math, not mathing, we get more here. Because... Exactly. Be- I was just about to say because. So the story is that Maisie went to school with Luke's mother. Yeah. Um, then Bud. Oh my God. It hurts. <laughs> Bud helped him turn the hardware store into a diner when his father died. Yeah. Luke goes to eat there two, three times a week. But you run your own diner. You have one yeah. other employee. You have two employees. You have you have Caesar and you have Lane. But you but before you had Lane, you just had Caesar. So like, yeah, when he talks about like I come here for breakfast, I'm like, bitch, when three in the morning? Because you he right? wakes up like at six to open the diner. And even if he's like, let's even like for argument's sake, later when we see like he says, Oh, I asked Caesar to open the diner. Like, even if Caesar opens, like Luke is still around. He's not like not working, or maybe he need might need one morning off to go do an errand, but he's still like <laughs> he's still working for the diner. So the math isn't mathing. <laughs> it hurts. Also, well, when has Luke ever not been at the diner? When does he have time to go there for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Two or three times a week. Especially since we established like season one episode one he doesn't like to do very much he's kind of a hermit so oh my god i'm so confused <laughs> i'm very confused but anyway this, this is okay. us in, this is us in the dance marathon episode again like what time of day is this <laughs> seriously but and yes why, and why stars hollow high across the street from luke steiner in one episode seriously. but it's not there again and where the fuck is this lake <laughs> or this hockey arena Oh. oh my god. Anyways, um also by the way, just another plot hole in this fucking episode. The there you know at the town hall meeting where they're talking about Andrew and Gypsy getting into a car accident? Yeah. They talk about outside of the Stars Hollow Flower Mart or Garden Store. Garden Center, yeah. Garden Center, that's it. Garden Center implies that it's like acres and acres of like trees and botany. Yeah, like a Lowe's or a Home Depot. Yeah, where the fuck is that in Star Hollow? <laughs> oh my god, if I talk about this anymore, I'm gonna cry. Um, I, think like, I think like Star Hollow Gardening Center or whatever is like used loosely. It's probably just like a flower shop. It's probably like a stand next to Dosies. Jesus <laughs> Christ, I can't, I can't do it anymore because I'm my brain is gonna explode. Um, so we find out that Luke, we find out the Luke and Lorelai origin story as implausible as it may seem Mm. um that she walked into the diner it was very busy she cut out a piece of the newspaper uh, in the horoscope section and wrote on it you will meet an annoying woman give her coffee and she'll go away and then we find out that luke has been carrying around that horoscope every day for eight years Mm -hmm. so putting aside the fact that the math isn't mathing I think this is the first time that Lorelai really understands the depths of Luke's feelings. 
Yeah. Um, and it really just for her, she she gets it. Like she's like, okay, this guy is clearly like in it. <laughs> and I th- correct me if I'm wrong, but I kind of I, I'm not gonna call it hesitation, but there's a look in her eyes that's like, oh crap, not oh crap, that's wrong, but like oh oh my god feelings i there's no sarcastic or witty comment i can make to you know cover up my feelings in this moment it's like she's there's there's just like a rush of emotion in her eyes that i see when she when he's when she realizes when he's like i'm all in and i don't know it's no i don't think you're wrong i think so i i also kind of took it like that where i think that for lorelei um, I think it's clear from the beginning that this is not something casual, but at the same time, I don't think she expected it to get that deep that quick. Yeah, Do you know exactly. what I mean? Yeah, exactly. So that moment where you're saying, oh shit, I think that's that's partly correct where she's like, wow, like shit got real. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think you can also see it in later on in the episode at the town hall where Taylor's talking about, well, what if you guys break up? And then Luke's like, we're not going to break up, you know, like he's so confident that they're never going to go, that they're never going to break up. And you kind of see it there too. Like he's like, when he said he's all in, he's clearly all in. But I think before that moment at Sniffy's Tavern, um, like Lorelai wasn't on that level yet. Right. Um, and you know, I think it takes her a little bit longer to get on that level. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think she's like slowly, slowly realizing that like this is a a relationship that's going to last because she even tells Taylor, show him the horoscope like she goes, you know. Yeah. Um, So she's happy about it. But I think there's because we know Lorelai and her kind of fear of commitment throughout the years. I think there's also this sense of like um, not dread per se, but this just um, apprehension, maybe. Yeah, that, that's a good word. Of like going into something this big, this quickly um, with someone that you've known your whole life or eight years, <laughs> apparently. Please don't make me do it again. <laughs> um, and just like, you know, already having a friendship with this person, but now moving to something more. It would be scary, I think, for anyone, right? I don't think she's wrong in feeling that apprehension. Whereas on Luke's side, he's just so excited that they're finally here. He's like, we're never breaking up, you know? Um, yeah. I think that would scare me too. <laughs> okay. But since you brought up the town meeting, that's another thing we have to discuss because oh that's okay. So my question is, why do you think no one gossiped about them getting together when Laura, after Lorelai walked into the diner half naked, assuming that the diner couldn't open without him? Yeah. Um. And then, like, thinking that maybe they didn't see or they don't care. I'm like, bitch, they saw. Like, look at me. (laughs) Yeah, well, number one. Number two, I want to ask you something because this is hilarious to me. Even if the diner wasn't open, Mm -hmm. there are three walls in the diner made of glass. (laughs) Do you think somebody wasn't going to see you in your underwear? Yeah, the town, like I said, is the size of a pea. Someone's going to see you. (laughs) Yeah. Um. That's a really good question about them not gossiping. Like, I, I, I don't know if it's because, like, do you think it's because, like, Taylor had some kind of secret code for when this inevitably happened? It was like, no Honestly, speaking it about be, it. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past him. 
But I think but you, but you could see on Babette's face at the meeting, like they weren't trying to hide it. Like they were like ba- like even like Babette and um not Miss Patty, but but uh, like Gypsy and Andrew, like all of their faces were like, Oh yeah, like that's a like that's a positive development. It wasn't like like I don't I don't know if I wouldn't be surprised, like you said, if Taylor if Taylor had some kind of common like commandeered the, the situation before it even happened, but yeah so i don't think it's too much of a stretch knowing taylor and this town to say that they probably have like a protocol binder yeah um, because they even named it the negative ramifications of the inn owner and the diner owner dating (laughs) it was like they were introducing a piece of legislature into congress like (laughs) i mean it was amazing but um yeah i don't know why the ladies didn't talk about it the next day at the newsstand part of me was like kind of hoping that they were giving oh god I don't know I think I was hoping that they were kind of giving her her privacy Miss Patty yeah well that's another thing but (laughs) but that's the thing like when she's talking about it with Luke on the phone I'm like well give them more credit you've known them the whole time you've been here and they've always treated you you know, they, they clearly care about you. And this is clearly, and they've known Luke presumably his whole life. And so, I don't know. They're clearly, they clearly care about them both. Um, I think it's a mix of not wanting to embarrass them versus being so excited, but also very apprehensive. It's probably the word of the day. Miss um, Patty. Exactly. I don't know. I, I genuinely don't know why they went that route. I don't know. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but yeah, I do think... Sorry, I can't answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that what, like Taylor definitely had some kind of protocol in place. Whether yeah, it wouldn't or not, surprise me. Whether or not the townspeople knew about it is a different is a different ball game. But yeah, I think maybe we can say it's just, it's just a general apprehension of like, oh, that's nice, but we've all wanted this for so long. And it's like when it actually happens, like maybe people are thinking like, oh, maybe like, I don't know. It's a yeah. sticky... A sticky wicket but <laughs> yeah i don't know either <laughs> i don't know i guess to, i think to me definitely taylor had a protocol but everyone else i think i think just decided to suddenly not be themselves when it came to this <laughs> i think it just also goes to show how scary taylor can be that everyone was like don't defy him maybe i don't know but all that to say the last thing i wanted to say was that bad I... no shut up <laughs> I don't know why, but the idea of Lorelai and Luke having sex grosses me out. <laughs> okay, why? As I've gotten older, that image of them in bed and that bed sheet being very low on Luke's hips. Yeah. It's very icky to me. <laughs> okay, is your dislike of Scott Patterson... Um, influencing this decision at all this, these- so yeah like when I was watching it yesterday I was like I think that's it but I'm like I think I've always been this way yeah because it's always I don't know what it is because it's just it's maybe it's because we waited for so long that actually seeing it was so jarring yeah I was, that's the word I was I was just thinking of. like I think it's jarring because even as we've seen Lorelai date some men and Rory and Dean you know, had sex. Just <laughs> um, say that like of, that. <laughs> at the end of well, because it's I, I, we'd rather not think about it. But um, you know, just like we've seen 
these instances obviously where like it's not like the Gilmore girls aren't sexualized like we and we know that you know Rory was maybe thinking about losing her virginity with Jess it didn't happen like there was conversations about it and we saw Lorelai date men but I think it's this is the first time where we've seen the lead character of Lorelai Gilmore actually like in bed like post-coital <laughs> yeah so the thing that's what I was gonna say too because I think we've talked before about how this is such a like big family show Mm-hmm. Um, and even when they joke about sex, they don't usually say sex. You know what I mean? Even when they had that whole conversation, Rory had that conversation with her mother where she's like, I'm thinking about it. And she's like, oh, soon. Like they never actually said the word sex. You know what I mean? Maybe a trivia question. I don't know if you will, if you will get it, but if, are you familiar with Laverne and Shirley? Yeah. So not, you- as, <laughs> not as Laverne and Shirley as I'd like. So do you remember, or do you know, slash remember how, they they referred to sex on the show without actually saying it. Oh God, I'm sure I do, but I can't think of it. This is all this 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 flabbergasts me because to me, I grew up watching like Happy Days DVDs, like the very first seasons, and that's when Laverne and Shirley first appeared. And they were like these, I won't call them like street walkers or anything, but they were kind of they gave this air of like experience street walkers. <laughs> but like they gave this air of like experienced older women who who like paled in comparison to the, you know, G golly uh, world of happy days, like the the very tame, unsexualized world of happy days. So I actually didn't see, I saw like a few reruns of Laverne and Shirley growing up, but I didn't see it until my aunt actually got me the complete series set like only five years ago, just because it popped up on Amazon. And I was just, I was shocked that it was so like Laverne and Shirley were, were watered down so much into like this family friendly version Anyway, all of that to say, they referred to sex a lot without actually saying it. And their term was Vodio Dodo. Oh, that's the one. So like anytime they were like, did you, did you two Vodio Do? Or we didn't even Vodio Dodo. Like it was just this, there was code. Like they couldn't even, you know, and it was, it was, it was jarring to me. Schlemiel Schlemazel might have been a better word, but I (laughs) know. Like it was jarring, like leave the same ways. Lorelai and Luke having sex and lying in bed as we see them like that. It's like, well, that's the thing. We've never like up until this point, we've kind of seen like we've seen Lorelai in her nighty when she was at Jess's uh, Jess's house, Jason's house. Oh my Um, gosh, scandalous! Sorry, we saw her in her nighty then, but like it wasn't. It looked like a dress. Let's be honest. And Um, And she had to get dressed when Emily called. Exactly, and then. Even at the end of season four, we see Luke. Uh, we see Luke. Jesus Christ, what's wrong with me? We see Rory and Dean kind of post-coital and like wrapped around blankets. And I think that was jarring for a different reason. Yeah. Um, Because it was just so like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. But to see Luke and Lorelai on such a family friendly show, like that sheet was awfully fucking low on his waist. um, And she's like kissing his stomach. Yeah. And by the way, before you come for me, this has nothing to do with their age. <laughs> because I know somebody's going to say like, oh, if it was like younger people. I'm like, no, it just has to do with the fact that this has been a relatively tame show up until now. Eleni is ageist. Yeah. Um, no, it, I think it really just has to do with the fact that it's been relatively tame up until this point. Mm-hmm. And it was just so like, oh, OK. We're doing this. Yeah. You know. yeah no it was it was definitely jarring i think it just it wasn't it just wasn't an image that we'd had of 
of Gilmore Girls. Like, it's not to say that we have, yeah. not to say that viewers by this point in the show, like, I don't think had seen, maybe they probably had seen that on other shows. I don't think like, yeah. if you're even by season five, you've probably, you know, seen other shows by this point. So like, and now we're watching shit like Euphoria where they're just like fucking up against the wall and we're like, yeah, unfazed. <laughs> but I think, but uh, I think, <laughs> but I think for a show like Gilmore Girls where we just didn't see stuff like that and it was on, you know, the WB, well, now on the CW at this point in the game. Uh, no, no, season five was still on the WB. It was only seasons, uh, it was only season seven that was on the, the CW. No. Yes. No, season six, I'm pretty sure, was on the CW as well. Nope. Okay, now I'm going to look it up. I'll put money on it. How much? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Just put, just look it up. I know. I'm right I just want to look it up. Um, But anyways, all that to say, like, even the, you know, it had nothing to do with the nudity itself or, like, the scene itself because it's relatively tame. Um. But, you know, it, it was more the, to do with these characters that we've never really seen in those situations before. All of a sudden being in that situation and you be like, oh, hello, you know. So that's it. I have looked it up and I'm correct, but you can look it up yourself. <laughs> oh, it's fine. I was going to look it up after. Um, <laughs> anything else you want to discuss for this episode? Um, well, we didn't really touch that deeply on Rory um leaving leaving Yale to go to Dean's house at the end of the I episode. don't wanna I know you don't want to but I I think it's it's telling in the same way that she was acting in season four like kind of not knowing her place in college life just yet and when Marty asks like why don't you have a boyfriend she's like I don't know like all kind of just whiny about it and then looking back even at the end of season four when you know when Tana had made that collage of couples and she's like, oh, look, Roy, there's you and a, and a lamppost. I think um, I think Rory was, I don't know, feeling this kind of like societal pressure to maybe couple up for whatever reason. And then because she had had that thing, that rekindling of something with Dean and then it just, it, then it blew up so publicly. I was, my thought is, I don't know. My thought is, in the same way that she was acting in season four, like she just doesn't, she doesn't know, she doesn't know her place as an adult yet. And Dean just brings these, just conjures these loving stars, hollow high school memories. And she's now all of a sudden insecure about not having a boyfriend. She's like, well, I could have a boyfriend drives over to Dean's house. Like, I, I don't know. That's just shitty decision-making first and foremost. I don't know anything else you, you can think of. I mean, to me, it was more the sense of like, I think she thinks in her head, like, it's the not the right thing to do. That's not the right way to say it. I think in her mind, it's like, well, I broke up a marriage and we're not going to be together. Yeah. Then what was it all for kind of thing? You know what I mean? Yeah. I think it has more to do with that. Like we did this really big thing. I lost my virginity to this guy and now we're not even speaking. Cause I don't know if she goes over there with the intention of like just getting herself a boyfriend. I think maybe she goes over there first and foremost to have a conversation with him to see like what's going on between us because we had sex 
and then your marriage blew up in your face and now we're not even speaking like I think there needs to be some kind of conversation yeah um and then I think that just inevitably leads to both of them thinking like well we did this we broke up a marriage might as well be together yeah I think I don't think any other thought goes into it for both of them definitely no other thought and and I think I don't think they have feelings for each other no, I don't think it's I don't think it's inaccurate for you to say like, oh, well, we broke up a marriage. Might as well be together. I think that's that's probably part of it. I don't know. But to me, to me, I don't even I don't even think it is that deep for them. I think it's just like they felt this almost like a grab this like gravitational pull to each other. And it was like, Ew. like you said, there's no actual feelings like all the feelings they've had have been had. It's over like it's it was puppy high school love. It's not wasn't there, right. like I think I wish. Oh my god. I wish they had literally just ended it there. Yeah. And made Rory understand like the gravity of what she did. Mm-hmm. Like not only did you break up a marriage, but you lost your virginity to this guy that's literal idiot. <laughs> and then like why did you like that would have been punishment enough. Mm-hmm. And you made her date him for eight more episodes. Which I think, well, I'll leave. I'll leave most of my thoughts for the for future episodes. But I think it's, it was just a really weird creative choice to have like Rory and Dean get back together so briefly, and then spoilies. But you know, she and Lo- like then the Logan, the long haul of Logan happens, and it's I don't know. Every, I'm telling I- you, there was no thought behind it. It was literally like. We did this big thing. We might as well get together because then what was it all for? Yeah, probably pretty much <laughs> exactly what it was because there's there's no there's no there's not even any chemistry between you two. No, there's not. Especially like I I won't speak to season to you know earlier seasons because we've been there done that. But in season five, it's it's abysmal. No, it's like ugh. I can't even. I can't even. Can't even. Nothing can't left even. to say. I don't know. I think that's it. Yeah. Anything else you have to say? I'm good. I'm good. Where can they follow us? Where can they follow us? They can follow us on Twitter at Gilmore Podcast. Yes. And they can follow us on Instagram at Gilmore Girls Podcast. Look at you. And if you should feel so inclined, you can support us on Patreon um for a nominal fee each month you will support our podcast and you'll gain access to our bi-monthly newsletter which um contains some little tidbits about what we're reading watching and listening to at the moment so if you know you've enjoyed our lengthy intro topics in the past that have little to do with Gilmore Girls then the newsletter will probably suit your fancy. So please consider doing that on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com slash Gilmore Girls Podcast. And should you feel the need, you can email us, gilmorepodcast at gmail.com. And that is all. And See we'll you see next time. Next time. Bye.